um, after this day. It's a blessing to have uh, them with us as well. Um, last week, we started by just acknowledging the fact that many of us have allowed our lives and our schedules to get a little bit out of control, to get even maybe a little bit crazy busy. And the main thing that we looked at last week, just as a review, is that it is so important for us when we're making decisions about our lives and about our schedules to make a decision based on trust rather than fear. Remember we looked at uh, David and his battle against Goliath, and the only way that David was able to go out on the battlefield against Goliath was if, like he did, replace his fear with trust that God knew what he was doing. And so with that in mind, um, we want to get into to this week's. And before we do that, I just want to acknowledge that I was able to receive a lot of great feedback about this series over the week. Emails, phone calls, um, a lot of people saying that this series is coming at a great time. That they're feeling like their schedules in life are kind of getting away from them and that this has brought some, some good perspective. And I'm glad to hear that. At the same time, I also heard some other feedback that I'm equally as, I guess, thankful for, that there are some of us who maybe are in a season of life where things do not seem crazy busy anymore, or, or, or maybe never were crazy busy, and so they're wondering if this series is applicable for them. And so I just want to say this, that first of all, thank you for that feedback, because it gives me an opportunity to clarify something that I didn't do a good job of clarifying last week, and simply this, that while the title of this series is about busyness, busyness is not at the heart of this series. The heart of the series is about life balance. The heart of the series is about purpose. The heart of the series is about perspective. And so no matter where you are on the spectrum— over here, we got crazy busy. Over here, we've got something that probably none of us are. Crazy lazy, okay? Crazy busy, crazy lazy, and everything in between where most of us lie, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. We all need a reminder about life purpose and life perspective, and that's what we're getting in this series. So I pray it's a blessing to you, no matter who you are. A few weeks ago, we had uh, orientation uh, at... Uh, St. Croix for our oldest uh, son, who's a freshman there. And part of orientation, we got to meet uh, his homeroom teacher. And at least at his school, the homeroom teacher, part of her duties is to help figure out classes each semester for her homeroom students. And so we went through a little bit of that, and honestly, it's a little overwhelming to know exactly what classes your son is supposed to take every semester. And so the homeroom teacher gave us this good bit of advice. She said, if you're feeling overwhelmed by class selection, here's something that I have found to be very helpful. Start with the end. Start with senior year. Start with graduation. And you students or you parents, consider what position do you want your child to be in? Or what sort of way do you want your high school classes to look as you think about what's next, and then just reverse navigate from senior graduation. And that if you start with the end, 
that making the class decisions along the way, even way back as a freshman, is going to make a lot more sense and be a lot clearer. And as I was listening to her give us this advice, you know, I thought, that's, that's really good advice for picking classes. But I also thought, as I was studying this week, you know what that also is great advice for? <laughs> it's great advice for life. To start with the end and to reverse navigate. Maybe some of you have had to do this exercise at a place of work. Uh, maybe you've never heard of it. But there's this, this exercise where you ask yourself the question, what would I want my loved ones to say about me at my funeral? Or another way to say that is, another way to do that is to have you write the eulogy that you would like to be read at your funeral someday. And then take that eulogy, take those thoughts about what a friend might say or a loved one might say, and then ask yourselves this question. Does my life balance focus, perspective, do I sort of mesh with what I'd want read at my funeral? It's a pretty deep question to consider, huh? In fact, it goes to our very first fill-in for this week, number one on the screen. Question, does your current schedule and time reflect what's most important? Does your current purpose and priorities Affect or reflect what's most important. What's most important to who? Well, first of all, what's most important to you? But I would say even more importantly, what's most important to God? When we think about the end, a lot of times it puts what's most important to perspective, right? And then along the way, does my schedule, does my calendar, does my life reflect what I would say is most important? I'm sure in a lot of ways, you'd answer yes. I mean, you're here today, right? <laughs> That's a good start, spending time at the table of the Lord. Wasn't that a good uh, gospel song? Makes you kind of, at least for me, tap my foot a little bit. Um, but in a lot of ways, maybe you'd answer no. I know I would in some ways, in some areas, in some attitudes. And so today, for our message, what we want to look at is what should be the most important thing? And then one very simple application that comes from that, okay? We're going to be in a book of the Bible called Nehemiah. And uh, the context of this historical event is about 440 B.C. Before we get to 440 B.C., I want to start a little bit earlier. Over the whole span of the Old Testament, God had a special relationship with the um, people of Israel. We call them the Jews. And, and the reason why that was, that special relationship, was not because there was anything inherently better about the Jews. It was just that God had chosen that family amongst all families to someday give birth to the Savior. And so because that family was so important for that reason, throughout the Old Testament, you see how God guided them, protected them, how he had this special relationship with them. And we also see how the Jewish nation, the Israelites, would follow God closely, then fall away, would follow God closely, then fall away. And after having lived in the area we know of today as Israel for about a thousand years, 
thousand years, that's a long time, um, God became increasingly frustrated with their disobedience. And so he allowed the Babylonians, that's a, a country, the Babylonians to come in and to basically, well, first of all, destroy Jerusalem and take almost all of the Israelites back to Babylon as slaves. And so Nehemiah, the man at the center of our text today, was an Israelite who was born and raised in Babylon as a slave. And over time, he came into prominence as he was asked to be the cupbearer for the king. The king's name was Artaxerxes. Now, the cupbearer's job was not primarily to test the flavor of the wine or the quality of the wine. It was more to test the safety of the wine because enemies could very easily slip something in there to do harm to the king. And so he had a very important role of testing the wine to make sure that it was safe. Well, the, the really cool thing is that Nehemiah during this time wrote a memoir of his experiences that God had a hand in writing as well. And that memoir is found in the Bible and it's entitled Nehemiah and, and that's the book we're reading from today. So we're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, and um, at the very beginning here of his memoir, he writes about some people who came back from Israel. They had sort of inspected what was going on in Jerusalem, and they brought this very discouraging report. These are in the words of the people who came back from Israel. Their report was this, those who survived the exile and are back in Israel in the province those people are in great trouble and disgrace. Why? Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So, this is about 150 years after Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are still torn down. The, the gates are, are still burned. Jerusalem's still in disarray. And how does Nehemiah respond to this uh, issue? Verse 4. When I, Nehemiah, heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Now, why was Nehemiah so upset and so discouraged and overwhelmed by the fact that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down? There's really two reasons. One of them was that the Israelites were his people. You know, we all have people. Those are my people. <laughs> the Israelites back in Israel were his native people. And, and so with the walls broken down, they clearly were in more danger. They didn't have the protection of the wall. But that wasn't the main thing. The main reason why Nehemiah was so discouraged was what Jerusalem meant. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. It also happened to be the city in which God had chosen to put the temple, and the temple was the place where God's special presence dwelt. And so a glorified Jerusalem said something about the God of Israel. In turn, a Jerusalem with its walls torn down, a Jerusalem in disarray was a disgrace to the Israelites, and it also happened to be a disgrace to the God of Israel when other nations would look to see that city. And so this affected Nehemiah. 
That's why he mourned and fasted and prayed, because of what this meant about how people viewed their God. Well, if you read through the first two chapters of the book, you see that Nehemiah had it on his heart to do something about it. And when you read through it, you also see that God kind of put that on his heart, that, that something, and here's what he had it on his heart to do, that he was going to lead the rebuilding of the walls. And this wasn't just going to be for protection for the people. It was going to be all about the Lord and raising up his name again through rebuilding those walls. And so while Nehemiah was serving the king of Persia, we see that more than that, he was serving the king of kings. That in the midst of his life, he was given this way of serving the Lord first and foremost, and that was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he was consumed by it. He prayed that the Lord would allow the king of Persia to let him go to help rebuild the walls. And that's exactly what happened. Artaxerxes, in kind of a very, I guess, surprising decision, said, Nehemiah, you can go. You can lead a group to rebuild the walls, okay? You just need to come back, all right? That's the only thing I ask when it's done. You come back. And so that's what Nehemiah did, consumed by this opportunity to serve the Lord in this very special way of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now here's where it intersects with us. What consumes you? In the midst of life, what is it that's got your heart? What sort of purpose do you see as being the main thing? And then what does that mean, not only for your time, but also for your actions? What is it that we're trying to build? <laughs> Nehemiah was trying to build a wall. What is it that you and I are trying to build. There's a lot of things that can fill our time and fill our schedules. And, and the, things that I, the thing I want you to know is it's not always between good things and bad things. Okay, those aren't the two categories. The categories are this. Good things, bad things, and the most important things. Good things, bad things, and the best things. Most of our calendars aren't filled with bad things. But we're tempted to fill them with a lot of good things that aren't the best things or the main things. You know, good things like PTO or band or coaching, Facebook or concerts, going to the movies, Facebook, um, going on trips, going to the cabin, Hobbies that we like to do, Facebook, um, <laughs> and the list, you know, could go on. And none of these things, let me say it again, they're not bad things. They're good things, but they're also not necessarily the best things. And we need to, in our lives, very much like Nehemiah was consumed by the best thing, that is serving the Lord with his life, giving glory to God with his life, we need to start with the best thing. And when we do perspective changes, can I, can I give you some perspective on different areas of life that if you just think about it differently, it's going to allow you to put the Lord first in those areas. So as an example, if you're someone who works um, on a daily basis, works at a job, 
You could go to work to make money, all right? And that's part of it. That's a good thing. Or better, you go to work to make an impact. See the difference? See the difference in perspective? No matter whether you like your job or not, you can make an impact. How about your free time? Some of us maybe look at using all of our free time to have as much fun as possible, growing your fun versus growing your faith. It doesn't mean that you have to get rid of recreation, but there's a difference of perspective there, growing fun versus growing faith. How about parenting? The difference between raising successful children, that's my goal, raising successful children, that's a good thing, versus raising godly children. Some of the decisions are going to be the same in those two purposes. Some of them are going to be different. But the goal of raising godly children is a whole lot better than the goal of raising successful children. How about this one for our young people? Is your goal at school to be popular or to be a light? Is your main goal to be popular or are you conducting yourself in a way where you can be a light for Jesus and for your faith? And there's a difference there. And it affects the decisions that we make, right? When you get the purpose in line first. See, here's the thing. It's something that Solomon discovered. And Solomon was a king in the Old Testament that had everything. He had girls, he had wealth, he had big homes, he had power, he had success. He had it all. And at the end of his life, he looked back on it and he said, you know what, all those things, what's the word? Meaningless, he said. You know why? Not because they weren't fun. Some of them, those things were good things, but they all end. They don't last. They don't have eternal value. Here's my encouragement for you, whether you're crazy, busy, crazy, lazy, or everything in between. Our next fill-in. We should prioritize our lives around the things that last longer than our lives. That doesn't mean you eliminate. Notice, it doesn't say you eliminate the things that don't last longer than your life. They're good things. But as far as priorities go, prioritize my life around the things that last longer than my life. I brought a, an object lesson here to help you sort of visualize what this means, okay? So in this jar, I have a bunch of beads. And um, those beads don't represent bad things. They represent good things. And so as an example, in, in my life, I have, I've got a lot of good things that I use my time for or time with. So um, one of the, the good things in my life is uh, I like to uh, play basketball. And it's even better if I get to play it with my son. All right? That's a good thing. Sunday afternoons, uh, I like to watch football. And actually, I like watching football Sunday evenings, too. And I like playing fantasy football. And I really like when I win fa- Oh, really like it when I win fantasy football, okay? Good things. Um, I, thank you, I don't like doing home repairs on my own because I am not very good at it. So I like it when I have friends that love me and help me, and I will help them do home repairs and things. I, I like that. Um, I'm, <laughs> this will show you I'm a suburbanite, but I'll be really honest with you. 
occasionally, I like a skim vanilla latte. And sometimes I like it twice, okay? <laughs> um, I like pizza. Um, I like a lot of things, and these are all good things, okay? None of those things are sins. None of those things are bad. But prioritizing our life. If I prioritize the good things, whether it be in, in my budgeting or in my time, um, my calendars first, when I come to the important things, the biggest styrofoam ball here will represent Jesus, just Jesus. And then other things that go along with him, like weekly worship or daily devotion or prayer, um, serving the Lord with, with my life, maybe at church, maybe it's not at church, maybe it's just in the neighborhood, but serving the Lord with my life. If I put those things in after, if I don't prioritize those, a lot of times there's not going to be room, and they're going to get forgotten. They're going to get missed. But, but if we prioritize Jesus first and the things that go along with the most important things, that is, those things that last for eternity, those things that are of the Lord, and if you put those in first and then all the other good things come along, a lot of times there's going to be room for them. And even if, you know, an hour of basketball shooting doesn't quite fit, not a big deal. I've prioritized the big things first. Jesus once said, seek first my righteousness and all of the, my kingdom and my righteousness and all of these other things, they'll be given to you as well. You know what his point is? It's going to work out just fine. But seek me first in your schedules, in your budgets, in your life, with your purpose. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. More than serving the king of Persia, he was serving the king of kings. You know who else did this? Jesus. God's son. I want you to think about it for a moment. When he decided to come to this earth, he, he could have made his life look any way he wanted. Air conditioning hadn't been invented yet. He could have had it. Indoor plumbing, not around. He could have created it. The God who spoke and the world came to be could have had anything he wanted, but he chose none of it. You know why? It's kind of ironic. Our main thing should be him. Guess what his main thing was? You. And me. And that totally directed his life. It totally consumed his time on this earth. In fact, there's this passage in the New Testament that I just love because it shows the determination of Jesus while he lived on this earth. It's from uh, the Gospel of Luke describing Jesus. It says, as the time approached, the time approached for him to be taken to heaven. That is, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. As that time was getting closer, Jesus didn't run the other way, but he resolutely, that means with determination, with focus, he set out for the place of his death. He set out for Jerusalem. Nehemiah was building a wall. Jesus resolutely went to Jerusalem to build a way a way 
for sinners like you and me that so often get our heavenly eyes covered by the things of this earth, a way for us to be with God forever. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to Jerusalem, and he paid the price for our sins that we otherwise would have paid or needed to pay. What a resolute and focused Savior we had that built us away. So we're here for something bigger. We're here for something bigger than this life, and yet distractions will come. And as we close here, I want to show you an example of how Nehemiah dealt with distractions, okay? So we're going to fast forward a little bit. By God's guidance, he and a bunch of workers were able to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in less than two months, which in and of itself was likely a miracle. Right before he was done, there were some distractions that came. And I want you to see how he handled distractions, okay? So we turn then, Nehemiah 6. So word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I, Nehemiah, had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, and not a gap was left in it. So some of the enemies of Jerusalem and some of the enemies of Nehemiah had heard about the walls being rebuilt. Though up to that time, I had not yet set the doors in the gates. Next slide. Sanballat and Geshem, these enemies, sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So Sanballat and Geshem, they come and they're like, Nehemiah, come down from the work that you're doing. We want to meet with you. And Nehemiah has a sinking suspicion that they're probably wanting to harm him. So if he goes, there's going to be problems. If he doesn't go, his enemies might sort of get together their their armies and there could be an all-out war in Jerusalem because Nehemiah isn't listening. And so he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. So what's he going to do? You know how he made his decision? Again, not based on fear. He made it based on purpose. Look what he says. Next slide. So I sent messengers to my enemies with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I can't go. I've got important things to do. I'm not going to give up that important stuff. I've been called to a great project. I'm not going to give up the great project for other stuff. I'm not going to come down. My question is for you, what, what great project has the Lord called you to right now? It's something. Is it being a loving, supportive wife and mother, dad or husband, grandparent? Maybe you're not sure what your great project is right now. Maybe it's just being an example for others about how a Christian goes through difficult times, if that's a season of life that you're in, or how they they deal with loneliness towards the end of life and, and what that looks like. But make no mistake, you've been called to a great project. The Lord has purpose for you here. Otherwise, he wouldn't leave you here. He would have taken you home to heaven already. What's your great project? has something to do with eternity. I know that. has something to do with something bigger than this life. And then don't let anything distract you. 
from that which the Lord has called you to, which is not just a good thing, but the best thing. And when you remember your purpose, my friends, when I remember our, my purpose, guess what happens? It's our last fill-in. Scheduling decisions are clearer when living life on purpose. Balance is clearer. Perspective is clearer. It's not always easier, but clearer when we understand the great purpose that the Lord has called us to in response to what he has done for us. So, here's your homework. I want you to to look at your schedules, to look at your calendar, look at your life, and to think about this. What things should I say yes to and what things should I say no to? Some of us need to say no to certain good things that are taking us away from the best thing. Maybe some of us need to say no to computer time. Not 